Welcome to the Growth Pioneers Podcast. This is your host, Doug Irwin. On this episode of the podcast, I speak with Maggie Brickerman and Jared Beyer from Generator. Generator is a nationally recognized venture capital firm and investment accelerator program. They have 72 programs nationwide, but more specifically, they are running an investment accelerator here in Reno and in Las Vegas coming up in September. We have a really engaging conversation, diving deep into what makes an accelerator work, why you'd want to participate in one, and the real the specific differentiator of the generator model versus other accelerator models. It's a fun conversation. You'll learn a lot, and hopefully you'll be excited to apply to the upcoming cohort. So now on with the podcast. Welcome, Maggie and Jared, to the Growth Pioneers podcast. It's nice to see both of you today. Thank you, Doug. It's nice to be here. Thanks, Doug. Yeah, this is an exciting experiment. This is the first time I've had uh, two guests on the podcast, so we will see how it goes. But uh, two of my favorite people, uh, Jared's a really good friend of mine for many years, and Maggie and I have gotten to know each other recently through her work, which we'll learn more about, but uh, just a great human and uh, excited to hear more about her story. So uh, welcome, both of you. So Maggie, well, today we're going to be talking about Generator, which is a nationally ranked venture capital firm and accelerator. And they are a platform which helps the creative economy. We'll get into that a little bit more. But Maggie, why don't you start a little bit by giving us a little bit of your background and how you ended up at Generator? It's a meandering story, actually. Well, thanks for having us, Doug. We're so excited to be here today. And I can speak for Generator. We're all so thrilled to be doing work in Nevada. It's been a long time coming, and it's just been great to get to know everyone over the past couple of months. And we're just so optimistic that. With um, Jared and Keegan's leadership, we're going to do some really great work together. So I am from Wisconsin, which you can probably tell from my accent. I was born and raised here. I went to UW-Madison and I studied political science. I actually spent 10 years working on political campaigns and organizations. After 10 years, I decided that was a pretty tough lifestyle and 10 years was a good go. And I was connecting with people in my network to figure out what I might do next I had a mutual acquaintance with Joe Kurgis, who's one of the Generator co-founders, and she had mentioned that Generator, which had started in 2012, was starting to think about scaling the company. Campaigns are all about scaling things really quickly. And so she thought it might be interesting for me to do something new and bring a skill set that I had while learning a totally new industry. So I met uh, Joe Kurgis. He is a really inspirational, visionary person. The first time I met him, I think I understood like maybe 60% of what he said. And he's like, I'm a smart person, but he's the type of person you sit in front of and you're like, oh, you're an actual genius. And so I was just really attracted to like the energy of him and generator and startups and figured that the skill set that I had around communication, fundraising, scaling, all those things could translate fine into startups and I could learn VC while kind of helping along the way, basically. So I've been at the company since the end of 2014. So this is going on seven years. We were four people at that time, our two co-founders, Joe and Troy, and then my colleague, Abby, fellow partner, Abby and myself. And now we're around 130. So it's been a really exciting ride. So you got to give me some crazy political story. Like what's the one story from your time as in political arena that you can share? I had dinner with President Barack Obama in the basement of a Milwaukee high school. It was me and David Pluff and Mary Burke, who is a woman who ran for governor. That was the last campaign I worked on. I was her campaign manager. So the president had come in towards, you know, they kind of come in at the end of the campaign to rally people and create that last minute energy. So we were doing a rally at a high school in Milwaukee, and they always kind of do a little intimate thing with the candidate. And so I had like, obviously shepherded her there. And he was like, Oh, no, you have to eat with us. And it was just, just fun and amazing. And I remember he asked me how I got started working on campaigns. And I said, my freshman year of college, I just skipped class all the time <laughs> to volunteer. <laughs> but that's kind of a why that's my two truths and a lie. It's my truth that I say that like, sounds like too far fetched to be really a lie. I love it. Well, thank you for sharing that story. I think the closest thing I had to say, I mean, I'm not even close to that. I just remember when we helped bring Tesla to Reno, my one moment of fame, I pushed the governor out of the way to shake Elon's hand. There's this beautiful picture on Facebook of me, like literally my hand on Governor Sandoval's back and my hand at Elon. So not quite the same, but I don't know. It just seemed political. 
Well, hey, Jared, why don't you give a little bit about your background as well, and then we'll we'll dive into a little bit more about Generator and all the great things that are happening in Nevada. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Doug. And Maggie, I feel like I've just learned a whole new side of you, so thanks for sharing that story. Wow. Um, so I'm originally from Toronto, Canada. Who would think that a guy who studied anthropology and from Canada ended up in Nevada leading a startup accelerator? But I lived in New York. So my background was I lived in New York City for a good number of years uh, working in the apparel industry. So I worked for some apparel startups, some large global brands, and then ended up in San Francisco after that working for a variety of tech companies. I've just always loved early stage companies, loved, you know, kind of being involved in those early teams when you're growing businesses. And so when this opportunity came up at Generator, it, it just seemed like a great chance to be able to help Nevada startups, companies based here in Reno and, and really all over. So I'm excited. Yeah. And Jared, I mean, you know, obviously you and I know each other really well. I think I was just really happy that uh, Generator saw what I saw in you and, and helped select you for the team. You're just a natural connector. Your enthusiasm just kind of flows through you. And, you know, for those of you out there in, in podcast land, if you haven't had a chance to meet Jared, you definitely should. He's a great human and, and helping make things happen on the ground. So I'm just really happy that you're in that leadership position as well. So Maggie, so let's talk a little bit about a nationally ranked VC firm in Accelerator. So kind of give us give us the background on Generator. What's its mission and why should we care? So Generator was founded in 2012 in Wisconsin. Our two co-founders are both attorneys by training. They met doing some mutual transactions. So one was working with startups as the one of the founders of the Law and Entrepreneurship Clinic at UW-Madison, and the other was representing angel investors. So they were sort of on opposite sides of the table working on getting startup deals done and got to talking about just sort of their feelings on the ecosystem in Wisconsin and really feeling like we had everything it took here to build a high-growth startup ecosystem, great ideas, great talent. A lot of entrepreneurs who had been there, done that, had mentorship to offer success certainly enough capital to get going. So not enough to build a billion dollar company in the state, but it, you know, enough to do seed in series A. But what we lacked was an efficiency or sort of a platform to to bring all those ecosystems together. And I think the common refrain in Wisconsin, and I think a lot of other ecosystems that we specifically want to be in is like, oh, we're flyover country. No one ever invests in here. Like, woe is me. And their feeling was if we're not finding our best and brightest, really like putting our cards on the table and investing in them first. How can we blame other people for not coming to a party that we didn't even start? So I think the key differentiator for Generator in Wisconsin, as opposed to things that had gone on before, is they said, we don't have, they recognize we don't have the capital to build these giant companies here. We're going to have to go elsewhere. So we need to understand what those investors are looking for as a benchmark so we can work backwards and really help our companies work towards those national milestones if they're going to be successful. Previously, it had been very pond-based versus like a stream. So it was like, oh, I ran out of money. I'm going to go back to these same angels. They don't know what the next investor down the line wants. So they give feedback that's not quite oriented in the right direction. And then you're like right back where you started. So that's really been our kind of calling card is we're going to build these relationships. We're going to understand what funders are looking for and then help the companies meet those milestones and make those relationships with investors. You know, the whole idea was we can do it here. (laughs) You don't have to be in the Bay Area. And I think we've done that with great success. So as along the way, so it really did start with like a place-based focus. And I think what we learned in years of operating was we really needed to expand that thesis to include race and gender. So basically, you know, VC is one of the most powerful economic development and wealth creation engines, and it's locked up in a couple zip codes for a very specific type of founder. And so our whole thesis is let's unlock this for people regardless of zip code, race, gender, and we can build a really profitable fund doing that. And and that's what we've done. It's really inspiring, honestly, Matt. You, you had so many things. You, you just sort of, one of my pet peeves is like, I always hate seeing lawyers and founding teams, but you may have changed my whole opinion about that, honestly. If two lawyers start a generator, maybe they're not so bad. So that's, you sort of shattered my my view of that. So that, that's great. I, I really appreciate that. And, and, you know, honestly, I think you really articulated one of the challenges of, we're the f- closest flyover city to the Bay Area. Right. But we're still a flyover city. And in fact, in some ways, it's sort of like Reno 
is like connected to the black hole that is the valley and, and for the largest time just had this huge sucking sound of pulling all of our talent and things over there. Obviously, I think that shifted, but but you know, the the way you've described that, I mean, it totally resonates with me. You know, we have a lot of the good raw materials, but it's just was not, has that been organized in a way that has generated a lot of success? And, and you know, my role in economic development, I've seen the need of having an accelerator for many years. We have different versions of that that have showed up. But I really, I think the ring that really resonated with me about generators, a couple of things that you said, like you really understand what it means to be in the flyover part of the country. It's different. How do you help take these communities and connect them to a national narrative? Super important. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And then, of course, you know, just focusing on the inequities in the venture world, I think it's just, it's a powerful one-two punch. And um, yeah, it's, I'm excited to see where this comes. I mean, it's obviously very early on, just for those listeners, we, the generator has launched two technology or investment accelerators, one in Reno and one in Vegas. Just, you know, how do we find that? Just go to the generator.com slash Reno. If you just go to generator.com and it's G-E-N-E-R, the number eight, T-O-R.com, you'll be able to just select um, investment accelerators and you'll be able to see, it's a drop down actually, and you'll be able to see all of our programs, um, including uh, Las Vegas and Reno. That's great. And I'll put that in the show notes for, for the listeners. So what have you learned along the way, Maggie? I mean, obviously you started from four people, now you're 130, you know, this thesis in Madison. I mean, you know, every community has a different set of raw materials. You know, what have you seen as you've rolled these out? Because you, you have quite a few of these accelerators now running throughout the country. To sum it up, we're a startup that helps startups. <laughs> so, you know, I think what has worked for us is the same advice that we give the companies in our programs with the caveat that we have not raised venture capital ourselves. So we're entirely bootstrapped. All the growth has been off of our own very slim, you know, to the extent we ever have a margin, we're reinvesting that back into the company. But I think it is, for us, it's been an obsessive customer focus. And when we think about our customers, First and foremost, it really is the founders. So, if you know, we are a venture fund, we are here to have a profitable fund, which means that they need to grow. Most of them will have to raise follow on capital to kind of continue escalating that growth and then eventually have liquidity events. So, really focusing on what are the things that they need to do that it's mentorship, it's a foot in the door with big customers. And it's those investor relationships. And really, I think one of the, um, I would say, transformational things that we've been able to do for a lot of our founders is help them just pull back the curtain on how does a VC make money? Which I know sounds like really simplistic where you're like, how do you not know that? But, you know, you're a founder, you have a problem that you want to solve. You're really obsessed with that. You're, you know, so I think really understanding what does a VC need to do to like do a good job at the end of the day? And how do you need to make your narrative and your metrics and everything kind of fit fit the math that they're looking for, basically? So again, it's going back to that benchmarking. I think that's been, it's just sort of democratizing that information that I think is the benefit of an accelerator. You know, especially in these, you know, every ecosystem's at a different point of evolution, but there's still a ton of education that needs to go on. I mean, I have people, even when we made the announcement for Generator, you know, you had people that, hey, I have a, you know, a bakery, which is awesome. We need bakeries. Probably not the right fit, right? They don't, they're not connecting what venture capital and what angel capital needs are. So, you know, part of that whole process is just educating people. And, and of course, you know, I've never met an entrepreneur that doesn't think their idea isn't the best in the world. <laughs> so they're sometimes blinded by their idea. And it's, you know, I, I think one of the things you said that's so important is put yourself in the shoes of the investor for a little bit. Look at what, you know, how they look at it. I mean, you got to imagine they have they look at hundreds of deals. Everybody comes in and says they have the best thing. So how do you, you know, A, how do you differentiate that? But then how do you, how do they make money so you can understand how to play game with them? So I think, you know, that's been a big key to our success is just really understanding we have investors, of course, there in the customer set. We have funding partners, but if those founders aren't succeeding, like we're sunk, that's the whole, you know, their success is our success. A couple other things. So you mentioned, I think the bakery is a great example. And often when we specifically choose markets that are not major metros, that are more everywhere America, which is our mission. And so a lot of times we'll get started and people are like, yes, finally, like someone to help me with my coffee shop. So I think it's super important as our mission is to be the best partner for communities to invest in their best and brightest. That ex extends to everyone. And so I think our team is really good at kind of being like Grand Central Station. 
and saying like, hey, you're probably not a fit for this, but have you talked to the small business development center, for example, or like, have you looked at this? So we want to leave everyone better than we found them and have them feel like coming and chatting with us for half an hour, which is like Jared's life right now is all 20 minute conversations with entrepreneurs, sending them on their way with a little tidbit, a connection, even if they're not a fit for our program is so important. And I think that's a differentiator for us in terms of how we kind of embrace the full community and not just this sort of sliver of VC, while of course staying really focused on that. And then the other thing, the last thing I would say is um, just being very opportunistic. And when we see this, um, Joe Curtis has a great analogy where he's like, okay, in the Bay Area, an accelerator is like air traffic control. So you're just trying to get this person to this place. And and what we realized in our neck of the woods is we had to build the airport. So we didn't have, you know, there are components of an ecosystem that didn't exist. So we built a conference series. We have a free pre-accelerator. We have all these things that have really contributed to the growth of our company because the startups that we worked with needed them to succeed. So it's sort of that symbiotic relationship that has been really important to us. I think that that role of ecosystem curator is so powerful. I mean, we, I always describe us as air traffic controllers, honestly, is, you know, sitting down with people and, and navigating. So Jared, I mean, you, I know you're meeting with a lot of people. Has that been your experience? I mean, you're, you're helping navigate people through the, the community? Yeah, it's been wonderful getting to meet the startups in Reno that are local and then all over, actually, you know, we've been speaking with people across the country that are interested in coming to Reno for the program. And, you know, to your point, it's, you know, these entrepreneurs have these amazing dreams and these ideas and and, and it, it's really about fit, I think, at this um, stage. And so a lot of it is just kind of hearing where they are. And then as, you know, Maggie said, it's providing guidance. And I think like, that's what I really love is being able to kind of chat with them about where they are, what's important, and then how can we help? And how we can help is we could bring them into our accelerator program if it's a great fit. And if not, how can we connect them to the Small Business Development Center or other accelerators that are in the Reno ecosystem that might be looking for a little bit of an earlier stage company? And um, it's been rewarding. I will say just getting a good snapshot of like what's happening here in Reno and across the country. It's just so fascinating talking to these entrepreneurs with their with their ideas and what they're building. It's so it's inspiring, actually. <laughs> it really is. And I think that you know, this brings up a, an experience for me, you know, the power of, of no or this isn't the right thing is a very powerful thing, right? Like I always tell my kids, no is the second best answer, right? Maybe is the worst because you, you don't know what to do with maybe. And so when I was raising money for our medical device company, Priya, we, we built an at-home male fertility test. I'd raised some angel money and I was in the Bay Area and I was trying to run venture money and I was just getting rejected after rejected. And we met with this one advisor and it was one of the best meetings ever. He said, he looked at what we had. He's like, look, nobody has really made any money at the venture level outside of diabetes. And there's a ton of dead soldiers along the way. He's like, you're going to get rejected left and right in the venture community. This is not the right place. You got to go to the hinterland and go raise angel capital. And so I took that to heart and we ended up raising almost $10 million in venture and corporate dollars, not a single VC dollar because it just wasn't the right fit. And he saved me so much time. I mean, I was disappointed because I was like, oh no, I'm going to be a Kleiner backed, whatever. But ultimately it was correct. And so that power of that curator to navigate, I mean, it saved me countless amounts of rejections, hundreds of hours of wasted energy and deflation. And we found success. I mean, you know, the company notwithstanding, we were able to raise a bunch of money. And in fact, we even got written up in Koppen uh, thought book on this creative way of financing. You know, when they don't tell you, you know, when you blaze your own trail and no one tells you you can't do it, you just kind of come up with this new way of doing it. But anyway, the point of that is that that curation is so powerful. And, you know, I appreciate that that's how you come into a market. I mean, you know, everybody on this show knows, you know, my core values around being an entrepreneur first. It's like, do the right thing for them above all else. And although sometimes we, it's hard to say, hey, no, this isn't the right fit. If you do it in the context of being an entrepreneur first, then you're actually doing them a huge favor. So I think that's a, really appreciate that about you. And I, you know, that's one of the things where I feel like we did look at other accelerators over the years. And there was just something about the way that you all operate, your values, your origin, how that's come about, really just resonated with where Reno was at. You know, I mean, we I, I won't disparage the other accelerators, but we'll just say we did not find a good fit in other other areas and it really feels like a good fit for you. 
So how are you, you know, what are you doing specifically with regard to supporting, you know, disadvantaged founders? I mean, this is a big topic. I mean, I think last time I looked, you know, female founders got less than like 2.7% of all venture dollars. I think it probably went down during COVID. How do you tackle this problem? I mean, it is a big problem. So, you know, what do you think are some ways that uh, we can help solve this? I'm glad you asked that, John. I have many opinions. And I actually think there's like a really important first step that Generator started doing in 2015, I think, which is tracking and publishing our data. So if you look, it's really like a new thing that you can even find the diversity kind of demographic statistics of anyone's portfolio. It is not information that people have historically disclosed. So if you don't actually know what's what, <laughs> besides sort of these like global kind of studies, you know, when you think about being entrepreneur first, that's kind of important information in terms of who you want to work with. And not that you wouldn't, but just going in with eyes wide open in terms of, you know, is this a fund that has experience working with founders who are, you know, historically not kind of at the table? I think that's a really just important piece of information for people to know as they're deciding. It is a competitive market and the best startups have choices. And I think that's really important from sort of their decision-making perspective. So since I, for many years, we have tracked and published the demographics of our portfolio. They're on our website and, you know, historically we would announce them at our um, demo days, basically. So I think that's really important. So where are you right now? If you want to you know, grow and improve, like you at least need to benchmark where you are. So our overall goal, and I want to be clear that we don't publish them to like self high five and be like, oh, we did it, even though they're dramatically, dramatically different than BC as a whole. But if we don't put it out there, then we can't sort of push ourselves and be held accountable to improve it. So ultimately, our goal is that we want our portfolio to match the United States. With some demographics, we're there or even overrepresented. We're, um, we have more Black founders percentage-wise than, than the states, which is incredible. On others, we have a, a lot, and that is credit to our, our amazing team. We have, on others, we have a long way to go. So only about a third of our portfolio have women founders. So of course, that should be 50 or, or better. Some of them we you know, need to chip away at a bit more slowly. Our philosophy on this is not that we get to the applications and we have 90% white guys and we're like, oh, a woman, and we pull her in. We're really focused on the demographics of the applicant pool because our belief is if we have a diverse applicant pool, a representative applicant pool, the competitive process will then produce a diverse portfolio. And that has proven to be true. And in some cases, it produces like an even extra diverse cohort, which is amazing. So that's our philosophy on it. From there, it's, you know, I think we have some programs, for example, the Northwestern Mutual Black Founder Accelerator that's exclusively for Black founders in fintech and digital health. And a program like that is a really tight-knit community exclusively for Black founders. And I think they do have a lot of conversations and are really focused on bringing in investors and mentors who are themselves Black or, you know, are really focused on investing in those demographics. And we're doing more on our community side in terms of affinity groups and, you know, how is raising money different as a woman and kind of creating that community as well. I'm totally with you. I mean, you have to kind of benchmark where you're at as a starting place and just putting in, you know, the effort to go to other communities. I mean, this is a, this is an ongoing challenge as we, you know, we grow our ecosystem is how do we get to the people that we, we don't know where they're at or how do we, that aren't historically showing up at events. So, you know, it, it takes some creativity and some extra work, but obviously it's, it's totally worth it. And, it, and I'm really glad to hear that you had some, some success in that early on. And, and again, I, I, I take that laying out the data is really a way to help, you know, be transparent and help keep you accountable, which is great. I just wanted to add one beautiful thing that I've seen at the company is that we also live this internally. So we're thinking along the same lines. You know, it, it's amazing, you know, from day one when I showed up and, um, we, you know, we're all on this company-wide Zoom call and I'm just looking around and I'm like, we, we really do. We've got a diverse group of employees and it makes me really happy because as we're out, we're, you know, speaking to founders and telling them about what we do, we really are living this internally. And so I'm very proud of that. I think that shows up in the recruiting. So our team is diverse on so many matrices. So we have consistently over half women 
sometimes up to 60% at times in our history, about a third people of color, and just people from all across the country and every background. So as I mentioned, I worked on campaigns, we have PhDs, we have journalists, we have entrepreneurs. So people are bringing themselves to the table from a perspective standpoint. And I think what it means is that we're looking in more places for entrepreneurs than other people by comparison. Which is great. I mean, you know, you never know where the next great idea is going to come from, right? Let's talk a little bit more. I mean, we've talked in some broad terms about the advantages of Accelerator, but can you walk me through the experience of participating in Accelerator? And then also, let's start there and we'll talk a little bit more about the advantages of an accelerator versus going it alone, if you could. What I would say and what I do say to founders when I meet with them is, how long might it take you to do this alone? And when you think about, you know, Doug, you were talking about this, you know, with your startup and just kind of, it's the circus of just trying to reach out and find VCs to pitch and you're coming in from, you know, you might have warm leads or it could be cold. But I think our whole job is to, is to help the companies accelerate very quickly in those three months we run them through the program. And we're putting them in front of what we say is, you know, about 100 plus mentors in the program and about 100 plus investors. And so just the access to being able to get advice and figure out how you need to grow that company so that you, when, you know, by the time we actually put our company cohorts in front of the investors, They've kind of ironed all those things out. And so the investors look at them and say, wow, I get it. Like, I get it, right? And it's just, you know, you're meeting with so many people. The opportunity for an investment just goes up because you've met with so many. Maggie, what do you think? Does that kind of hit the nail on the head? Yeah, absolutely. I think being an entrepreneur can be really lonely. And I think being in a cohort-based environment that is small. So Doug, I'm not sure if you mentioned that before on, on the podcast, but our calling card is that we only invest in up to six companies at a time. So I think people hear Accelerator and they're like, oh, is this a class? Am I going to sit and like watch PowerPoints and do an assignment? Our model is very individualized. So the, the bulk of the time that we spend with companies is in one-on-one meetings with our team and their team. So it's not like, here's some, you know, I think there are I'm a, you should do all the programs type of person. So I think the entrepreneurs we've seen who've had the most success are the ones who do every program, maybe in like the wrong order than we would, you know, sort of dictate to them, but um, who really see, like, I see all these resources and I'm going to take advantage of all of it. So I'm not saying this to disparage other models, but I do think there are some that are like, here's things that all startups do, but you're kind of left to your own devices to figure out how to apply it to your unique situation were sort of the flip where we can't, we assume that people come with sort of a baseline of knowledge. We do a lot of that during our kickoff to just make sure everyone's kind of have, has the same operating assumptions, but then we're super individualized and making a plan for that unique company, that founder, that industry. So I think that that's really key. So you're in this environment with these other people who are experiencing the pace and the stress and the highs and the lows with you but then getting this super individualized coaching from our team. And then Jared hit the nail on the head. It's just the efficiency. I mean, if you can imagine on your own trying to schedule 70 investor pitches in a month, it's really hard. Like our whole, the beauty of an accelerator is that we built a brand. So we're, we can't get you a check, but we can get you the meeting. (laughs) And then you have to kind of do the rest from there. Say it's the same thing with customers. So we have a large corporate network where if you're an individual startup on your own, trying to get that foot in the door can be so hard, but they trust us. They trust our vetting process and that we're not going to waste their time. And we'll say, can you please take a meeting with this company, give them some feedback, make sure they're on the right track. And it's so much more efficient for us to to help them. The last thing I would say is this isn't always true because sometimes people don't listen, but I think part of the goal is there's a lot of people that have come before you and made a lot of mistakes And we have that kind of collective wisdom. And we can say, like, we really think you should probably go in this direction because we've seen this go awry before. So you can kind of shortcut around the lessons that other people learn the hard way. I think, I mean, just so much of what you said really resonated with me. I mean, I think, and really to differentiate, one of the reasons why it was so important for me to bring in a nationally recognized accelerator is kind of the two things you talked about, right? Money is largely commoditized, although it's hard to get. And, you know, some startup education is largely the same. 
But having that personalized information is really great. But the two things that I think are a real differentiator from a national program versus a regional program is that access to the broader capital network, to be able to get access to that and to the corporate network. I mean, it's great to have money, but if you don't have customers, you know, it's just an exercise of spending money until you have to go raise more money, which is not always fun. So, I mean, really that um, having the network effect Pureness, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I'm a huge fan of entrepreneurial peer support. I was a member of EO for 13 years, still see my forum. It's lonely on top, and so it's best to be up there with other people doing that. So I totally agree with you. And, and you know, in my – I'm old, but when I was running, you know, my medical device company – there was no such thing as an accelerator. And so, you know, instead of running my business, I mean, I was CEO, but that really meant chief extraction officer. All I was doing was running around trying to raise money. And, you know, it left, uh, didn't leave much time for operations and other things. So I think that uh, accelerators have really cracked this. I mean, do you have any data on kind of the the failure rates or the success rates as a result of acceleration? I think it sort of flipped the script. I think there was this general feeling that 90% of companies die or something like that. But I, my understanding was it sort of flipped it around and most companies that go through accelerators are successful, but you probably know what the actual data is. I wish I did. I don't know for the industry as a whole. We obviously track our statistics very carefully and I'm sure it's on the website. And it's it's tricky, right? Because it's a long, ultimately the goal is a profitable fund, which means companies need to have exits. You know, in the program, which is 12 weeks, you're like a fraction of a fraction of your first step to the way there. So we have a lot of sort of intermediate milestones that we're tracking to know, are we on the right track? So for us, you know, I think the the small cohort size really started because it was a match for the resources that we had when we when we were founded. And then we realized that it actually was a benefit and an attract, you know, it's still one of the things that people say when they get in, they're like, I had another offer and I picked this one because it's so intimate. What happens is instead of, you know, there are a lot of models that are sort of the black swan farming, which is like absolutely one way to do it. Ours is we're going to do a smaller group and work to get them all a better outcome on average. So I was going to say, you know, like the predominant Bay Area wisdom is, you know, grind through. You have to have a portfolio of 50 and, you know, two or three or whatever it is, two or three will pay for that. And, I, and I, that clearly works, but that's good for the fund. I'm not totally sure that that's good for every entrepreneur in that environment. I mean, you know, hopefully their incentives are aligned, but I really do like the more, I appreciate you explaining that because I was, I was curious about that. Like, why do six? I mean, if we could get some more money, should we do 20? But what I'm hearing you say is that individualized experience is better for the founders and ultimately it sounds, I mean, I looked at the results of your fund, seems like it's doing fine for your fund as well. I mean, that's the thing we're proudest of, right, is with our geography and our investment thesis, where we have top quartile or near, near top quartile returns. So there's no trade-off in terms of what we're doing and, and financial returns. There's one thing I just wanted to add just about the program that I think it's important to touch on that the companies that go through our cohorts, it's not that we're done with them at the end of the program. So they become part of this alumni network where we give ongoing support. I mean, we're there, we're investors, you know, we're there with them um, as these companies go on to raise past a seed financing round and they go on for series A, series B. And I think that that's just something, I've had a lot of people ask me about that. And, and I think it's just important to note, it's just beyond the, tw it's more than just the 12 weeks. And these companies really have become part of our family. Which is a real thing. I mean, you know, sometimes people don't always appreciate the value of that, but the, uh, Ali Jennings, who's a serial founder here, has been through Techstars three times. And just being connected to that network has really helped support her on her different companies. And it really makes a difference. This is where I got like my firsthand experience with like, oh, wow, this network really matters. I mean, obviously access to customers, you know, shared wisdom, you know, maybe sometimes a shoulder to cry on, place to have, you know, shared success. It's really valuable. I mean, again, I'm part of my, the same forum of entrepreneurs. We've been together for 15 years. That's pretty remarkable. I just came back from Austin last week and I'm just like, I, I can't believe that I've had, hey, I can't believe we've been together for 16 years. I didn't think I was that old. Number one. Number two, we've just been through so much life together, you know, ups and downs and successes and failures and, and all of that. And just through a shared, you know, I think sometimes when entrepreneurs get, you know, they, they're very isolated and you get in a room with other entrepreneurs. And my experience was like, oh, I finally found my people. Like, these are the people that get it. That is so powerful. I think the journey is so important, too, because 
when you're in an accelerator and you're in that seed stage, the questions are very different than they are when you're a series B company. So like, you know, they're sort of, how do I get this initial traction? How do I raise a seed round? How do I do X, Y, and Z? And then it becomes like, how do I get a VP that's like super qualified, like just so different. And I think, you know, and we experienced this as the early team at Generator. How do you lead a company instead of like being inside the product every day? So that I think is a really interesting transition for people. And just having a sounding board at every stage is really key. Definitely. You become part of the the Generator family, as it were, after you go through the, the process. So Tell me a little bit more, Jared, about the Reno program. Since you know you're the managing director of the Reno program, what uh, give us some details on the Reno program? This will be the first cohort that we're going to run in the Reno Tahoe area, and uh, the program is going to run. It'll be 12 weeks. Uh, it starts on September 8th, and we'll go through December until December 2nd. And uh, applications are due July 10th. So this is really a call out to companies that are interested in applying. We are looking for you know, any early stage companies across any industry. And, you know, really we're looking for companies that have some traction. We've also brought in companies that are, um, you know, pre-revenue. But really, you know, we'd rather you apply and us have a conversation to see if it's a fit or not, instead of you being like, ah, because I, I know founders, like other founder friends of mine are like, I don't know if I'm at the right stage. Maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should hold off. And I think that does a disservice, right? Because why not apply to us and apply to, you know, Las Vegas, the program we're doing there. By the way, it's got the same dates. Um, you know, we're actually going to be running four uh, industry, what we'll call industry agnostic accelerators across the U.S. at the same time. Also Cincinnati and Huntsville. We want to talk with you. And kind of what Maggie said is we make ourselves very available to founders just to have a conversation. So let's start with a conversation. Uh, so if you go to our website, generator.com. You can search for the programs. My office hours are available there. So there's a link where you can just click and book a, you know, a 15 or 20 minute conversation with me. And let's let's have a conversation. Let's just chat about it. So, I mean, we're really excited, you know, Doug, and I know we've spoken a lot about it. Like, you know, what are the startups or what are the companies that we envision bringing to Reno? And, and really, there's such a diversity of businesses that we can grow. We don't want to say, okay, you, you have to be in fintech or you have to be in, you know, Web3 or whatever it is to be able to join. We're looking for, it could be, and it doesn't have to necessarily be tech. It could be a consumer product good company as well too. So I think that's something that I've been feeling a lot of questions or people are like, well, I've got, you know, this business, but it's not technology. Are you still open to it? And of course, right? I think the key is, can it be, does it fit the venture capital model? That's really the only thing. Do you want to grow and scale this company with an eventual exit? And that's really all we're looking for. So, and we, we, we just want to be the best partners. And, and I, I will say that I have just loved speaking to so many founders, not just in Reno, but across US. And I've come across business ideas that I would have never thought of that I just got. And I was like, this is so cool. Please apply. Please, 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 please. It is always amazes me talking to founders. I mean, there is a business for everything. I mean, it just shocks me when I hear about how people make money. So, but I just want to hear, so September 8th is the launch. That's my wedding anniversary, by the way. So good date, good choice. That's going to be a good, you know, that's when all great things start. So I'm sure your wife will be like, let's go to kickoff. I'm definitely not going to be at kickoff, unfortunately, <laughs> sadly, because we are re renewing our vows. It'll be 15 years. So we're going and doing something special that weekend. But I will be there in spirit. We'll be there leading up to everything. But and when is the, the deadline for... So the application deadlines are July 10th. And and we would encourage you to, to apply early. So a lot of questions I, I keep getting to are, well, you know, especially as companies are building their growth in like one or two months, you, you can see a lot. So, you know, some people are like, well, should I wait until, you know, July 5th to apply? And my answer is apply now. And if you've had any change in traction or growth, shoot me an email. Let me know. Give me a summary. You know, we'll take that into consideration. But really, don't wait until the last minute. I think companies... They think about like, oh, I'll squeeze in at the last minute. But we get, I was just looking at the stats for one of our other programs, 30% of applications came in the last three days. So when you are part of that giant deluge, as opposed to being, a, you know, 10 that trickle in per week or whenever, you know, kind of how the numbers tick up, our team is reviewing those as they come in. And if you get on the leaderboard as a favorite, someone else has to knock you off later. Whereas if you're part of the waterfall, then you're having to knock off a favorite that maybe just had more, you know, more eyeballs on it early. So we do have an extremely careful application review process that our team participates in. So I don't want to be like, oh, you will, you'll get missed. But 
I mean, play the play the odds. So apply early, apply often. Yes, and send updates. I think, Jared, you're so right. If you apply and then you send a weekly email or bi-weekly, you're like forcing us to see your growth in real time. And not only that, you're showing us that you can do that type of small thing well, which is you know the data that matters and you can communicate it effectively. Like that is so important as a just sort of a, a skill. Investor communication is so critical. I, this is, again, I'm dated. I used to send quarterly letters to all my investors. I had 72 of them. This was, you know, FedExing and sending things around. But a lot of times, I mean, what investors say is we talk to the founder a ton, they get the money, and then we never hear from them again. And I can tell you, in my experience, I needed to raise half a million dollars in kind of a crisis moment. And because I had kept everybody up to date the whole time, they were, you know, it was very quick. It was super easy to get done. It got it done in 30 days. And, you know, just because of the communication. Thank God we're recording this, Doug, because I'm just going to replay that for our founders at kickoff. Well, you needed money in a crisis and you got it because you were transparent. And we have so many founders, too, who will say, like, I money came out of the sky. Like I had this investor on my update list. I kept them, you know, I pitched to them one time. I kept them in the loop. They saw something that was interesting and they reached out because they wanted to invest. So you got to make your own luck that way. <laughs> that was never lost to me. Community, and this actually came from my dad was like, you know, kind of old school and said, hey, you got to communicate to your investors all the time. And I'm like, okay, didn't know any better. And it turned out to be the most important thing we could do is just keep updates going. The other thing I would say is, you know, it, you know, you mentioned before, there's a lot of different ways, you know, people do programs in different orders. Everybody wants to create like the fish ladder through the ecosystem, but it, it doesn't really exist. I mean, everybody enters where they enter. And again, you know, like these decisions are very subjective. So I, I want to share, there was a company locally uh, called Pinocchio. They raised a crowdfunding campaign, about a million dollars. They did this thing. They were much further along than a traditional accelerator. I mean, they had a million dollars in revenue. They had raised a bunch of crowdfunding dollars. But fundamentally, you know, they were at this really important inflection point where they had originally raised the money. It wasn't exactly the right fit. So they went to, they ended up getting Techstars again from their, their network later than one would expect, right? And, you know, the deal is the deal. So they gave up, you know, whatever the 6% was for that. But on the other side of that, they ended up raising $25 million. They repositioned their company and created a whole new plan that um, you know they went on and ran that for many years and ultimately sold it. The point of that story is just because you know maybe you're you've put a lot of money into the company so far or you're a different stage doesn't mean that this type of accelerator isn't valuable for you. Like again, when we went back to access to customers, access to venture, those things are hugely valuable. And, you know, you can do it yourself sometimes if you have the network, but if you can't, you know, anyway, my point of that is I think, you know, if you're on the fence, or you think you've gone too far, apply and have a conversation and you can, you know, you'll come out better than you started. So either way. So that's just my, you know, I'm sure you've had these conversations too, Jared. People are like, well, I'm too far or I'm too early. You just never know until you get in, into the conversation. And just something to note that I don't think we mentioned was, you know, I'm investing $100,000 into each of the companies that are selected in the cohort. And that can be, you know, depending on the stage of the company, make or break for these companies. It's such a crucial influx of cash. And then that just, you know, hopefully starts the journey that at the end of the program, they're getting a good seed round and then it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And so, yeah, it's important. Yeah, Doug, I encourage, I think it's tricky, especially for founders who are actively raising money they sort of do the math on the, what the, really we view it as a fee. So like you're getting 20K, we're investing 20K for 6%. Don't put it out of your mind that that's setting a valuation. No one else is getting that deal. Think of it as like, this is the money that's going to get you through the program for housing and whatever. And the fee for doing the accelerator and all the benefits that we've discussed is that 6%. It's still not a fit for everyone. And we totally get that, especially if someone's raised around and their investors don't want that dilution, completely get it. But I think that's where people get, we've had companies that have been doing more in revenue than what that valuation would imply, but they've made the calculation. There's a founder that comes to mind who was like, I just want to get this money raised and be done. And this is like a really clear path I see to, to like, he just hated raising money. <laughs> and he did. They just closed their Series B this year. So I don't think people should like willy nilly do it. If you are at that stage, you should be really thoughtful about what you want to get out of it. But, you know, viewing it as, again, a fee versus like a, a priced round is 
important. I'm really glad you brought that up. This is a relatively standard deal, but people get heartburn over the valuation. And again, you know, like, you know, my experience with this, I, I was recalculating my net worth like way too often in my company. Like at this stage, I mean, you don't want to be, you know, flippant with your equity, but, you know, you really have to recognize that, you know, the value you're, you're trading off here, right? It isn't, this is not, as your point, it's not, you're trying not to price the round. If you gave up 6% for that and you got your first customer that fundamentally changed your business, would you do that all day long? Absolutely. So people get too hooked on valuation. Again, I'm not saying it's not important, but it, it's just I, people overly, like I, I've just seen how these things go many times. I mean, I've seen founders get washed out and have to renegotiate. I mean, it just never works the way you think it's going to work. So don't overly obsess on this, the fee. Could not agree more. And I think we're seeing like a lot of these chickens, we will be seeing this kind of come home to roost with these really like we're sort of an observer right like our companies don't have the benefit of like an inflated valuation really ever like it's just it's not uh, people my husband was like oh are you seeing problems for your companies and I was like no because they always have had to have like we do not have we're not in the geography where you can get a million dollars for an idea on a napkin like they always have had to have a lot under the hood and they've never had the benefit of these like crazy inflated valuations but what we coach founders on is as you're raising money, if you're doing that successfully, you're increasing the valuation of the company three to five X between the rounds. So if you're so focused on maximizing the valuation for that first round without thinking about how do you three to five X for the next one? And like, can I actually hit those milestones? You might be setting yourself up for failure before you even like think about it and get out of bed. So people should not get a bad deal. You should not be taken advantage of. But I think you're completely right about just the obsession with that can really get people into trouble in your DOA before. I have a pizza analogy. Let me try it out on you, which is, <laughs> yes, your slice of the pizza is getting smaller, but now it has pepperoni on it. <laughs> so, or in Jared's case, it's got artichokes and uh, pine nuts. So, you know, I think people get focused on that pie, but you want a tastier slice, even if it's smaller. <laughs> this is really you know, an issue with early, first-time founders and people. I mean, you know, it's there's just so many different things going on at the same time, and I don't fault anybody for this. It's just so important to get good advice. So pick a good lawyer that understands startups and pick them early. Like, you know, this is one of this is one of my biggest pet peeves. I mean, I get you got it. You got to be capital efficient, but find a good attorney that knows these deals. Not your 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 uncle who's like done some random corporate deals or transactions. Like, work with somebody who works with startups because it'll just save you so much money and time in the end. And just you know, it's just one of my number one pet peeves. And I think I mean we have so many attorneys in our network who really they view their work like an investor would, which is they have, you know, a startup friendly package to get that initial work done because they know if that company is successful, they're going to end up being a long-term client. So there it's interesting to hear how attorneys vet what kind of early stage clients they want to take on, just like we're vetting them. But I, I think it costs you way more in the long run to make those types of mistakes. Could not agree more. And so I have to give credit to Troy Vossler for this analogy, but he sort of describes deal flow, you know, for, for a lot of VCs as like a conveyor belt with like a bunch of wrapped presents on it. And if your present has like a little tear in it or like they're going to move on. So if you have a bad lawyer, if you're obsessing over, you know, one percentage point of this and that, there's a line out the door. And so that's, that's really where we're coaching founders is on those negotiations. If you're a pain in the ass, Basically, if you're a pill, like people are going to move on to the next person. So there's, it's competitive on both sides. And I think, you know, one of the things we do with founders, Doug, is show them with kind of standard dilution, standard capital efficiency, a liquidity event for a company, sort of the payout for the founder versus the payout for that seed stage VC. And it's like 10x more for the founder. So again, it's not, you know, the VCs know that math for sure. And so you better know it too, in terms of like how much of a pill you can be. If it walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Like, don't do anything crazy. People come in like, well, I've got a, you know, a sub company under this thing and it's an S corp. And you're like, okay, no, 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 no. Like, 
make it. I will promote Nevada C Corp, but Delaware is a other thing. <laughs> make it look standard so that you know you don't set yourself up. And I had I learned this the hard way. I had an LLC in our company. We had a bunch of money raised, and I had a couple investors that were like, "I like your deal. I like everything. I just don't want to get a K one." And so they didn't do the deal because it was an LLC. And okay, you know. And angel, I mean, angels can say like, nah, too much. I mean, a lot of VC funds are like prohibited from investing in LLCs because of the tax implications. So yeah, that's, we're getting really into all of our coaching done here, but like legal 101, I think it's, and it's a lot about dress for the job you want to have. If you want, even if you're raising an angel round now, but you're going to raise venture later, you know, it takes a little bit of extra time to set it up that way from the start, but unwinding it later and converting is so expensive and complicated. Like just have confidence that you're going to be able to do it. <laughs> I hope if, if you're still listening at this point, which I'm sure they everybody listens everywhere, you're getting the really good stuff. Like, I hope you're getting that, you know, this is why you work with accelerators. The amount of things we just, if you just took this advice, we've saved you hours and hours of pain and tens of thousands of dollars just by listening to this. So just imagine what you would actually get if you were sitting down one-on-one to this. So this is my best pitch for general. I mean, I'm again, I'm just so excited. Like this has been on my radar for so long and it was just a confluence of events that led to this coming together. And I got to say just a quick shout out to the governor's office and Karsten for making this happen. I mean, honestly, if it wasn't for him, if it wasn't for some ARPA funding, all of these things, we would not be sitting here today, but not for lack of desire. So this is the beginning of great things. I'm sure of that. So, you know, just before we wrap it up, any last pieces of advice or anything else we need to let our listeners know? Just apply. If you got any hesitation, reach out. We've got, you know, and, and if you're listening in from outside of Nevada, we've got a whole slew of, of uh, accelerators. And so I'd say just reach out to the the directors, have conversations with them. And I'm always here to um, to answer any questions that you might have. Well, we got that. Apply, apply early, often. Jared, Maggie. I think this experiment worked. It's fun having both of you on. I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm super excited to be working closely with both of you on this to help make Nevada hopefully the most entrepreneurial state in the country. Nevertheless, you know, it's just going to be fun to work with you and help support entrepreneurs pursue their dreams. So thank you so much for your time today. And I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks, Doug. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Doug.